Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside Podcast. I just finished a new book called Disconnected uh, by Thomas Percy, and I loved it. And so we are here today to talk about his book and, and lots of other things. Um, this is How to Protect Your Kids from the Harmful Effects of Device Dependency. Tom, thanks for being here. My, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, okay. We were just talking a little bit about Tom's bio because I think it's super interesting. Uh, he's a psychotherapist. He used to be a school counselor and a regular guest expert for Fox News. Um, and then he said this was a while ago, but also co-host of two former A&E Network television series, Surviving Marriage and Monster-in-Laws. Those actually sound really interesting and pertinent. Tom appears regularly on popular talk shows and news shows, providing insight and advice about parenting, family, education, and wellness. I love, I love that broad bio. You've done cool things. Yeah, it's all, you know, it kind of comes down to the same thing. It's just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here, I guess, on this planet to try to, uh, try to help as many people as I can to just, you know, be the best they can be, live the best life they can be, be the best parents. And, uh, you know, I just, I see that we all have this ability. We just need to, you know, develop the confidence and, and know how to just go out there in the world and, and do what we can do to the best of our ability. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I loved your bio. It's super just uh, diverse. But <laughs> yeah. like you said, also not, you know. Um, so I loved how this book started out. You started out with the 80s childhood, basically. You say, I was helmetless. I think a lot of people will really relate to this. I was helmetless, big wheel riding. I was a helmetless, big wheel riding child of the 1980s. I walked a half mile in the dark for the bus stop each morning faced the occasional bully, threw eggs at other kids on Halloween, and rode my huffy all around town. You talked about being outside all day long in the summer with the kids in the neighborhood. Nothing was planned out for us. The only thing we cared about was adventure. We had Ataris and Nintendos, but spent much less time playing with them than we did playing with each other. When it was time for dinner, we were home on time and ate with our families every night. We had few worries, and we were just kids. We all survived. So I think a lot of people, I love that opening of the book. I think a lot of people will relate with that and remember those days. What has changed in 40 years? Screens. Um, and that's really what the whole book is about. I mean, I think I'm 49. I can't believe I'm even saying that. Um, you know, and I just think back when I reflect back to being a kid, I mean, I, we just, we didn't have any money. My parents didn't have, you know, they had four kids by the time they were 25. Nobody cared about any of that. And all of my friends that I grew up with, next, my next door neighbors, were still best friends to this day. And, and you know, that's, we were just outside all the time. And you know the old adage, uh, you know, it was basically my mom would, would shout out the front door before 6 p.m. Tommy, Joey, Carrie, Peggy. That was all of us. Time for dinner. And we had better be home, you know, for dinner. And we were just like, ah, oh, you know, out here playing manhunt, playing wiffle ball, riding our bikes. And, you know, we'd have to go home and have dinner together. But, you know, the moral of the story is we had you know, unadulterated fun. We weren't immersed in some, you know, uh, hypnotic trance from a, from a little device. And, uh, and it really just, you know, it, it just solidified us as social, emotional beings and so forth. Yeah. One of my favorite lines from that paragraph is you said nothing was planned out for us. And I see that also as a big difference in childhood today is that everything is planned out, you know, from, uh, from dawn till dusk, you know, kids have a really long school day they have homework you know often several hours and then all these extracurriculars that are good things and um are helpful and in different realms but there's not that time for adventure like you said yeah you know it's, i'm glad you brought that up because i was just i'm actually currently working on my next book which it comes out in february of 2023 i was just doing some writing this morning and I'm actually, I just actually touched on, I'm going to read a little bit right now um, yeah. for the people who probably be interested in this. It's, it's really about the importance of uh, developing social emotional skills through, through childhood play. And the author um, that I'm referencing touches on helicopter parenting. Um, and that's just not really just the, the parents that are constantly hovering. I mean, that's part of it. Also how, that, how parents orchestrate, you know, how they think their children should play. Uh, and how that really can affect, you know, the kid's own instinctive capabilities. Um, 
And what the author says is that when children become highly sensitized to what their parents want to see while playing, they often su suppress the most intrinsic, intrinsic play experience in order to gain approval from the parent who's trying to mold them. This can cause them to become skilled at pleasing adults and developing conformist behavior, which reduces their intrinsic motivations and authentic exuberance that is found on the playground. Wow, that's powerful. And that is, I mean, you, you touch on that in that one sentence, nothing was planned out for us. And I love that phrase, authentic exuberance. That's fantastic. You know, it's almost like this is easier, right? You know, it's like, you know, to have nothing planned out for your kids, that's easier, you know, than, than having to, uh, you know, schedule, schedule, drive, drive, and uh, pay. It's expensive, you know, all these activities. So, um it's funny that we have chosen this more difficult route. Um, yeah. Now that maybe it's not the best for kids anyway. Yeah, I know. You know, in kids, you know, if you look at different, you know, polls that have come out in recent years, uh, you know, different surveys, the majority of kids would prefer to be inside, you know, playing like video games and stuff than they would be, than they prefer to be outside, you know, which is not really our, you know, our natural habitat as human beings you touch on that in the book right i mean you talk about um i think yeah. i have some, mm -hmm. some of that written down here i remember reading about that that um because inside is where the screens are and that it didn't used to be that way it used to be get me outside i'm bored in this house you know and so i want to go see certain things or um you know so that's a big change um but but Partially, maybe goes back to the fact that there was kids to play with um, in the neighborhood, and so there's more motivation to get outdoors. Yeah, just unstructured. Yeah, unstructured. Okay, so there's a um, a phrase in your book that I actually not heard before: acquired attention deficit disorder. You say the more we become used to sound bites and treats, the less patient we become with more complex, more meaningful information. And I do think. You might lose the ability to analyze things with any depth and nuance. Uh, like any skill, if you don't have it, you lose it. So can you tell us what is acquired attention deficit disorder? Sort of what are the implications here? How can we avoid it? Yeah, so it's actually how I got, on, I got into this topic of, uh, of screen time. I've, I'm a pioneer in this territory. I started lecturing on the topic of the dangers of too much screen time starting in 2009. All right, way oh, before. Yeah. And, um, and it was because at the time I was working at a public high school, I was a counselor, and I ran a committee called the Intervention and Referral Services Committee. And we handled something known as 504 accommodations. Is so anybody listening right now? So uh, if you've never, you, you may have heard of a 504 plan that, that they give to kids in school, some kids that have, you know, if a kid has a disability. But what it is, it comes from Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which is an anti-discrimination law that states if a kid has any kind of a disability, um, that's affecting them academically, they may be eligible for specific accommodation. So in September of 2008, how many years ago is that? Uh, 13 years ago, we had our first parent meeting of the year. You know, parents would come in and uh, request accommodations. And prior to that, it was always, you know, for physical disabilities or, you know, Crohn's disease, diabetes. Yeah, so um, that's when I was working as a school counselor. We had a parent come in whose teenage son had recently been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. And that was literally the first time I ever seen that in, you know, 15 years working as a counselor, a teenager, wow. you know, being diagnosed late. And what m many people don't understand is that attention deficit disorder is not something that you get later on in life, but that you catch. It's a neurological, neurological condition that you're born with. So a child that is at the average age of diagnosis is eight years old. And if you have a child that has ADHD, you can't not notice it um, by age five. So it, long story short, after that meeting, for the rest of that school year, every like literally every single request was for a teenager that had been diagnosed with ADHD. So that's what got my wheels spinning. And I started researching like what's going on here. And I came across all of this research um, on, on screen time and what it does to the brain uh, neurologically. And one of the researchers had coined a term that I referred to it referred to as acquired ADHD meaning that they estimated that roughly 70% of kids that, you know, teenagers diagnosed with ADHD don't actually have it. They have the symptoms of it, but they don't have the neurological condition, yet they're being diagnosed and treated for that. So that's what got me going with the whole screen time. Wow. And 
everything else of mental health, depression, anxiety, and so forth. Wow, that's super interesting. So I um I was teaching up until 2008. Um, my last year in the classroom was actually in 2006 because then 2006 to 2007. In 2007 to 2008, I had an administrative role, so I wasn't in the classroom anymore. But in 2007, 2006, 2007 is when everyone had a BlackBerry. Um, and so I, I just was on that front cusp of, of seeing those changes in kids. Um, you know, 2009, I think, is when the iPhone came out. Uh, so, you know, I was just like right at the front end of it. But I was noticing that kids had them all the time. They were taking pictures of their tests and, and texting them to friends, you know, so like final exam, you know, they'd have their phone down in their shirt, and they'd be taking a picture of, of their test and sending it to another kid. And, you know, they always have their phones kind of like tucked down. They were trying to hide them, you know, tucked down in their shirt. You could tell they had them. And so is it interesting, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I would kind of love to, you know, it's, I became a stay-at-home mom, but I kind of would have loved to have been a fly on the wall that sort of progression of how that changed um, because it was already starting to change so much in 2007 and then you say in 2008 uh, interesting timeline that you had the very first um, very first in instance of this team that was diagnosed late so um, you talk about it can take a lot for brain to change its wiring typically three or more hours per day of consistent stimulating activity and so I thought that was interesting because Teens are on screens for way more than three hours a day. Uh, you see the most up-to-date findings is the average American teen spends nine hours per day or 63 hours per week immersed in electronic media, not including school-related technology. So um, is this nine hours a day plus school-related technology, is this changing the brain? hundred percent. So depending on the research you look at, so the nine hours a day includes multitasking where they, so it's really more like somewhere between seven and eight hours a day. And that's seven days a week. In fact, it's more, kids spend more time, um, more of their life on screens than they do other life activity, including sleep. So what happens is this. So what you're referencing in the book is something known as neuroplasticity. So the term, and that's a, that's actually the greatest breakthrough in modern day psychology, which shows that the brain like plastic can be molded. So any human brain that is engaged in anything that's considered highly stimulating for three hours or more per day, the brain will literally grow new neural pathways. Those are those little tree branch looking electrical impulses to assimilate and adapt to that environment. And we know that kids are spending not three hours a day, seven or eight hours a day in the most highly stimulating world. So their brains have changed and adapted to this, you know, to this really uh, uh, intense highly stimulating cyber world. And as a result, it's sort of unadapting, you know, to the real world. So the ability to sit in the classroom and focus and listen to a teacher becomes very difficult because that brain is constantly looking for stimulation. So now you have a kid that has all, you know, the inattentiveness, lack of focus, and is now diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do but I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops' price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside120. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, 
pre and probiotics and more. But it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. Required through that three hours or more. It's really hard to even imagine. You know, we see these statistics. They've been out for a while of the six to seven hours a day. You know, doesn't include school work. It's hard to even wrap your head around. I think, you know, what kids are on screens late into the night. I mean, you know, how does that even look, you know, in terms of a day? What's interesting to me, too, is this time piece is also coming up for nature play. So, you know, three hours a day is actually a baseline recommendation for nature play. Um, you know, all and, and more as kids when kids are younger. So I think something like five to eight hours when they're toddlers and preschoolers, but all the way through adolescence, um, I'm seeing things like three to four hours a day of, of outdoor play if kids can get it or or just free play, you know, ideally outdoors, but you know, at least just sort of this free time and free play. And so that's really getting sucked up by screens. Oh yeah. And that's why I love your movement, you know, the thousand hour outside movement. I think it's just, just, just that alone, you know, being outside, being outside, being part of nature. That's what we are is just critically, you know, important for the entire development of children, physically, mentally, emotionally, the whole family. And we have, uh, you know, the majority of kids in our country that are like really hunkered up in their bedrooms, isolated by themselves, you know, flipping around on TikTok and going on YouTube and just, you know, just in, in, in immerse in this like superficiality and they're missing reality. Yeah, and I think part of it is just bringing back a balance. You know, for our family, our oldest just turned 13, you know, and if we're outside for three to four hours a day, there just isn't the time for screens. And so, you know, my kids, they love screens. They wanna play all the things, you know, they wanna play the video games, they wanna, um, you know, they're not on social media, but they wanna, you know, they wanna play online with their friends. And some of that's fun for them. And they've got friends that, you know, have moved to different states. And so that's a cool way for them to connect. But, you know, there's just not, we're trying to make it so there's not that much time for it. You know, maybe there's an hour, maybe there's 45 minutes, maybe there's no time for it that day. And those are our best days. So that's my goal as a mom. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because then then you don't have the fights. You know, if you don't have the time, you don't have the time, right? It's interesting, real quick, uh, bouncing off that. So, um, up here, I live in northern New Jersey. So a lot of kids, I'm not sure what it's like. I'm probably similar around the country. A lot of kids go to sleepaway camp for the summer for seven weeks okay. um, in this area. And um, I've actually not heard of that. Yeah, yeah. My kids didn't. But a lot of kids up in this area, they, they, they go literally go to sleepaway camp for seven weeks. And there's no screens allowed. And which, what's interesting is when kids come back from the summer, kids that I see at my private practice, um, many of them I've asked, you know, what was the best part of sleepaway camp? And they tell me not having their phone. So they actually don't, they actually crave that human connection and that social interaction, but they don't even know it until they're kind of forced to do it. And then when they, you know, resume back, you know, from camp and so forth, they reflect back and that is exactly what they inherently wanted. Yeah, I think that, I think that those types of stories are popping up a lot. We've been doing a little bit with this uh, Gab wireless company um, so they have non-smartphones. That's their that's their whole gig, and it's a, yeah. I've done. It looks like a smartphone. Yeah, they're a cool company. It looks like a smartphone, so kids don't get made fun of. No, but they're saying the stories that the kids are mad initially, um, but you know, within a couple of weeks, they just come back and say thank you. You know, because it's opening a whole new world for them. Um, they don't. I mean, they don't really know different, right? They've been immersed in technology since they were born, and. 
So this is part of their world, and they may not have experience of not being connected and in those types of things. Yeah, we call them we call them digital natives, kids born. Okay. And then yeah. somebody like I'm a digital immigrant, so I have you know the experience you know prior to screens, but kids don't. You know, this is all they, yeah. this is what they know. You only know what you know. You only know what you know. Yeah, when when television is on all the time, when you can always watch a program, when there's always YouTube videos. You know, for us in the '80s, right? It was different. It was you know, there was only shows on Saturday morning till 11 and then they were over. And, you know, there was nothing on TV on Sundays. I remember that. Yeah. Except for like WWF wrestling. Yeah. You know, that was it. That was all that was on. And so they were good, they were good wholesome shows too. Like I remember thinking, there. I remember thinking as a kid on Sundays, I remember thinking, I wish I liked this. <laughs> yeah. No, but I didn't. And so I didn't like it. I didn't like the WWF. And so you got to go find something else to do. But, you know, kids who are born you know, teenagers today are born in 2007, 2008. You know, this, like you said, this is all they've known. One of the things you said in your book I found was interesting. Um, you just had this part of a sentence. You say, few took the necessary steps to change their children's media habits or their own. And so, you know, I think this topic of media and social media and screens and being connected, uh, I think that this is a pervasive topic. Parents are hearing about this often, mm -hmm. um, but I would agree with you that few are making the necessary steps to change, you know, we're just kind of going along with it. As a whole, why do you think we're not taking those necessary steps? Well, the, the reason is that uh, adults are just as addicted as the kids are to the screens. In fact, if you look at the research, adults are spending just as much time on their own devices and screens than kids are. So. You know, for a parent that sees there's, that, you know, that there's a problem with their own teenager or whatever, um, they need to kind of practice what they preach. So it really starts with with us adults and being the example of the kid, you know, for the kids. Which means, you know, when we're home with our children, you know, doing the best we can to put down our own, you know, computer screens, our own devices, and so forth, and just you know having you know uh, deep, meaningful, you know, uh, communication and experiences with our children. So that's that's really the reason. Yeah, that's good. Um, you talked about, I had not heard of this. Okay. This was really interesting to me and I, I wanted to look them up. I didn't have a chance to, but the Wyndham hotel chain discovered that the average resort guest was bringing three devices to the pool and checking them 80 times a day. So they began to offer a pouch to lock their devices in and including perks. I love this. This is actually really brilliant for this hotel chain. Um, and they would include perks for locking up your phone, basically, like mm -hmm. free snacks or prime spots around the pool. I love that. Uh, a 5% discount on their stay if they put their phones in a time lock, lock box. And you say a growing number of hotel chains are doing the same thing where they're offering perks like free snor snorkeling or board games um, to guests who go phone free because their mission is to promote wellness and relaxation and screens are getting in the way of this mission, where did you come across all that information? It's just, just, just the research, and it's kind of you know it's interesting, but it's also sad. You know, like we can't we can't even go on a nice uh, to a nice resort on a vacation and enjoy the beautiful blue ocean and the perfect temperatures and the pool in front of us because we're you know we're distracting ourselves. I we we travel quite a bit. My wife and my kids um, been all over the place, and you know I notice it when you know if we're at a resort, there's not too many kids <laughs> near the pool. I think a lot of them are you know, kind of cooped up in a hotel room. There are kids, but not as many as there should be, you know, at a family resort. And, I, and I've seen that. And, uh, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of kids would, you know, not all of them, but many would rather just be in, inside the hotel room, you know, on their screen. Well, maybe, and maybe they don't know any different. I mean, that's interesting that you bring that up because that's exactly why I started writing about our outside experiences was because we, when my kids were young, um, I just fell into this. A friend told me, you know, that there was this educational... <laughs> Uh, this uh, philosopher, I guess, for she's from the 1800s, turns out. Um, but she talked about kids being outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. And I'd actually never heard anything like that before. I thought it was an absurd idea, but we started to do it. Um, we tried it out and it, it sort of blew my mind because my really little kids, you know, who couldn't concentrate on anything, any project, any craft I set out for them, for more than 10 or 15 minutes, they could be completely occupied in nature for these long spans of time. And so that helped me as a mom. It was just for myself. I got a breather. 
But um, so for two years, we were spending this four to six hours of time outside and we're in the Metro Detroit area. It's really populated, <clears throat> lots of parks. And we never, we never ran into another kid the whole time. You know, we're outside, you know, not every single day, but, you know, several days a week, we were trying to get these large chunks of time and we were not running into other kids. But what I learned was, is this makes my parenting easier. You know, in the long run, my kids are better able to occupy themselves. You know, they're more creative. And so um, I think maybe it's parents don't even know. The kids don't know. Hey, if we went and sat around the pool, they're not they're not going to bug you. They're not going to be in your hair. They're going to be finding things to do, especially the more that you do it. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. I read your website and I saw that, like, you know exactly right you know you go to a, 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 a playground or park and it's like empty it's like what's going on here yeah where are, where are all the kids yeah, even i guess you said the resorts that um i looked at, you talked about in the book i think or maybe i found it through the Wyndham hotel this company called yonder yeah and they um they make these phone they make these phone cases that lock you know and so i'm like oh i'll try i'll try and buy one this seems neat or we try and do giveaways a lot with our with our podcast so i thought oh this would be a cool thing but you can't even buy it it's like you it's like as a whole, you have to get the whole system for your organization or for, you know, for your school. They say we create phone free spaces for artists, educators, organizations and individuals. Um, but like you're buying this system to put in your building or whatever, where people come and unlock their phone. It's a really, it's quite uh, an eye opening product, right? When you yeah, what's going on. Yeah. And it's it really, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool idea, but when you really kind of think deeply about it it's it just it just you know proves that we don't have control over these things anymore they have control over us where we have to actually lock it in the case because we can't prevent ourselves from the temptation right. of the, phone. I mean, the whole business <laughs> crazy yeah it is and then i guess to your point like we talked about earlier which is if it's a problem for us as adults how much more is it a problem for for kids you know and that you know just should they have these yonder things in schools you know, I mean, how hard is it for a kid to sit and listen to a lecture? You yeah, know, some got schools their... do have them. Some schools have gotten a little to the yonder. That's case. great. Yeah. That's great. Um, you say, you talk about the risks. Although smartphones appear to make our children fit in, I believe the risks are too great. Let's talk about, I know we've talked a little bit about them, um, but what are, what are some of the main risks of smartphones for kids? So remember how I had mentioned earlier that in uh, September of 2008, when I was working at the high school, we had our first uh, kid with attention deficit disorder come in. Uh, right around 2012, all of that changed. And literally 90, not like 90 something percent of all the referrals to that committee were now for kids with anxiety disorders. Okay, so okay. the original version of the book, which came out in 2016, um, I, I, I make a strong case as to how the smartphones and modern day technology are, are creating you know, this epidemic of anxiety. Um, since then, all of the research that the researchers have done comes out to support everything that I talk about. And why is that? Well, it kind of starts, uh, starts like this, you know, in a kid right now, the average age for first smartphone issuance is like 10 years old. Okay. So as soon as a kid gets the smartphone, here's how the anxiety is a huge component of this because they get their smartphone. And we want to believe that it, our kids are going to be okay. And then before long, they're totally immersed in it and they're falling behind in school. It's causing conflict inside the household. Um, and it progresses where, when, when I talk to teenagers, uh, I've, I've asked hundreds of teenagers the following question. What time do you go to sleep at night during the school week in the privacy of my office? This was when I was at the high school. And just about every one of them told me that they go to sleep between 1 and 4 a.m. on school nights and that their parents don't know it because their phones are upstairs in their bedrooms with, with them. So they're not, they're not getting enough sleep. So that perpetuates anxiety. And then it's this sort of look at me. Like, so now when you have social media and you have a vulnerable adolescent and just by, by the very definition of adolescence, adolescents are insecure. They're trying to figure out where they fit in and who they are and so forth. And now they have, and I talk about this in the book, a front row movie ticket to the screen of everybody else's perfect, wonderful, self-glorified life. And they're just bombarding their minds with all of these images and stuff of their peers. And it's actually stripping their self-esteem away from, you know, causing the anxieties, the depressions and everything else that we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, I think back on my own childhood school experiences and I mean, I, I enjoyed most of school, but then I, I do remember certain times where, 
you know, middle school, let's say, where it was always like girl things, like it's two girls pitted against one. And, you know, I remember having these time periods where I'm like, oh, I really don't want to go back. You know, it's like you'd have a, a break and I'd be like, oh, it's so much drama. You know, but at least you had this time period where you could leave it. You know, you got home at three o'clock and you could leave it until the next day or you had a weekend or you had a school break. Um, but kids can't leave it if they have the smartphone, right? You know? Yeah, and it, and, it, and it recruits other kids, you know, to, to join in on the, uh, on the ganging up, basically. And it doesn't go away. Yeah. One of the things you talked about in here um, is lack of resilience. Students are afraid to fail. They do not take risks and need to be certain about things. For many, failure is seen as catastrophic and unacceptable. Do you think that that lack of resiliency is coming from smartphone use? Yeah, I think it's part of it. I think, um, you know, one of the one of the issues is that, um, you know, if you if you look at kids today, you don't see too many kids walking, you know, to school or to, you see what I see by where I live. And I refer to this in the book is, um, you know, parents in my town up here, every every street is actually a dead end. You know, so you don't have all that far to walk. So if you take the bus, it might be a three minute walk. But what I've seen and again, a lot of the stuff I do is based with my own eyes that I see right. in the real world. And I would see all the, you know, the SUV with the mom and the teenagers, you know, in the passenger seat or younger kids waiting for the bus. So it kind of perpetuates this sort of fear mentality where parents are actually afraid of letting their kids walk to school because they think there's, you know, a kidnapper, even though kidnapping is at an all time historic low. And it's, and the reason for that, for this fear is because we're just, again, we're, we're bombarded all day long. You know, it's just funnels right down through social media now, the news and everything. And it's just, you know, how scary and frightening and terrible the world is one thing after the next. That's what sells. And that creates this sort of protective nature, you know, among parents. And we, and as a result, we're trying, we kind of like are bailing our kids out of everything, you know, afraid of letting them fail uh, and, 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 and afraid of, you know, letting them even just go out and, you know, walk to school on their own. So it certainly does affect their resilience. No question about it. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting that you brought up the walking to school because that's actually, um, this is only our, I think maybe my seventh or eighth uh, session this, this uh, season that we've recorded on a podcast, but walking to school or being outdoors has gotten brought up a couple different times. One, in, just in sort of the, um, the realm of resiliency, like there was this mom who was saying, when I have my kids go outside in, in weather, that's not ideal, which I think is a lot of times in the morning. You know, it's actually depending on where you live. I remember we walked to school too. It was a mile and you know, we're in Michigan. So I mean, it was cold. My parents did not drive us. Everyone walked. They would walk with us sometimes depending on how old we were. But, um, you know, we walked. And so this mom was saying that when her kids are outside in this uncomfortable weather, that that is helping them to develop resilience. And, um, and then another, we had a doctor on talking about sleep and he said, one of the best things that you can do for your sleep is to walk to school because you wake up and, you know, you're, you go outside, you're exposed to the, um, the bright sun, even if it's still kind of early, even if it's a cloudy day, and then you're warming up your body through that movement. And that, that sort of sets your curve for the day is what he was talking about. Um, so I think it's, it's sort of like what the whole theme is that we're trying to do the best for our kids, but inadvertently, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick story that, yeah. while, while we're on the topic. So I remember when I was walking to school as a kid, like kindergarten, first, second grade, I'd walk down my street, there'd be a crossing guard, and then you'd make a left and there was a railroad crossing, it was a freight train. And my mom was actually the crossing guard, right? Because you had to, had, had to be a crossing guard at the railroad crossing. So every so often the train would get stuck, right? So you couldn't pass it. And what they would do is a police officer would arrive on the other side of the train and then the crossing guard, in this case, my mother, would put each kid in between the train cars one at a time, right? And you'd feel the train nudge every now and then, like trying to go. But there was, yeah. no, there was no danger whatsoever. But if that, right. happened, if that were to happen now and somebody took a video of it, you know, the town would be sued, the police officer would be sued, the crossing guard would be sued, it would be all over the news. You know, and again, that's another, you know, fear, sort of a fear monitoring thing. It, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it really, there was no danger. It was probably kind of fun. I mean, I bet it had a little, little bit of, you know, I don't know, some extra. have little ladders, like you go up and help you and you do like two cars and the car on the other side. I mean, yeah. I would imagine as a kid, you would absolutely love that. Kids love trains. You get to kind of climb over it. Like, 
it's not like the train, you know, if you ever see a train, it, it goes to, 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 you know, before it gets yeah, to right. a minute before it gets to two miles per hour. So it's not like a, like a, like a Tesla where the thing's just going to go and the kid's right, going right. yeah, yeah. to knock on the train car. I've been in a Tesla once and you are yeah. right. <laughs> I was like, I feel a little motion sick. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Okay. All right. Here's a really interesting tidbit that I got out of your book. And actually, I think this is something, this is probably one of the things that I'll think back on a whole lot. You talk about multitasking. So this is the day and age of multitasking. And you said multitasking, multitasking can cause fragmented thinking, um, IQ score de- declines, uh, similar to if, if the subject had spoke, smoked marijuana or stayed up all night. You said IQ drops a 15 points for multitasking adults lowered their scores to the average range of an eight-year-old. And so here's you said, the next time you're writing your boss an email during a meeting, remember that your cognitive capacity is being diminished to the point that you might as well let an eight-year-old write it for you. I thought that is something to kind of tuck in. You know, we're trying to multitask, but we're really diminishing our capacity. Um, so, so how does multitasking affect our IQ and our performance? So it's interesting about multitasking, which is task switching. It's moving from one platform to the next. So if somebody's like watching TV, they're on their computer, they're looking at their phone and you take kids listening to music, trying to do homework, checking their phone, going back and forth, the television's on, that's called multitasking. And what people don't realize is that, um, the brain can only do one thing at a time. So some of the research I came across, which is very compelling is that the higher the level of multitasker, in every case, if you ask somebody that does a lot of multitasking, um, they'll tell you that they're really good at it. And all the research shows that the higher the level of the multitasker, the more lousy you actually are at multitasking. Um, so it's pretty interesting, but there's also some, some changes. Uh, there was one researcher I referenced in the book by the name of Clifford Nass out of Stanford, who did some experiments with students, high multitaskers and low multitaskers, and had them do this little experiment um, to see what was happening in their brain. And he had, you know, one group of high multitaskers and the other group didn't really do much multitasking. And the high multitaskers, when hooked up to a, uh, a functional MRI device, 
you could see the image of their brains and they were using 20 times more brain power than a low multitasker. But it was the, but, but, but it was the wrong part of the brain. <laughs> like during that experiment, you're supposed to be using your right. exec executive right. functions and the visual cortex of their brains was the part that was lighting up. So you can't sit in a classroom and your vis the visual cortex part of your brain cannot listen to a teacher. That's what your executive functions do. So it actually changes the actual chemistry of the brain as well. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's something to remember, right? That you're trying to multitask and it's taking you down to the level of an eight-year-old. Yeah. I'm definitely going to remember that. And it makes me think of kids in school. You know, the kids in school when we were trying to do these different things and they've got their phones out, you know, even way back when that that's really affecting them. Um, you say if parents could simply delay the age they give their children smartphones and allow them to use social media, we would see different statistics. Many parents I meet around the country tell me the biggest mistake they made was getting their child the smartphone. I, and this is a big statement. I've never had one parent come up to me after a lecture or email to tell me getting their child a smartphone was the smartest or best thing they ever did. It's usually the opposite, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, all the, before COVID, I was all over the country lecturing and you know, parent, they come up to you afterwards and, and the regrets of, you know, I, I, you know, they just, parents want to think, you know, we kind of, I talk about social conformity in the book. Uh, really, that's my favorite part, actually, of the whole book, um, is how we, as human beings, we, we just do what, what others do, kind of like the flock of birds. Well, know? that's what I think about the SUV. I mean, I think that all the other moms are driving their SUVs to the bus stop. So then you think, well, I've got Otherwise, I'm going to be the only one that does. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Like the SUV is the most unpractical vehicle there is. It's a gas guzzler. You know what I mean? It's expensive. And, you know, and you don't really, unless you have a, an army of kids. But no, you're right. Like this whole SUV or you hear like, you know, when you see the advertisements for SUVs, it's like, you know, the, the Toyota Highlander going through the mountains. And, you know, who does that? No, we're driving on roads. Just in Michigan, driving the, Jersey, the road to the bus yeah, stop. When it snows out, they plow, you know? And, and you're, you know, and, you, and you're not going out when it snows, but uh, you're exactly right. It's another perfect example of conformity. Yeah, which is just that, the, you know, in, in that, um, what you were talking about, which is that no one's walking to the end of the street, to the bus, all the parents are driving their kids. So then you don't want to be the only one that doesn't that too. Yep. drive your kids. Um, and so what would you say the average age of a first uh, smartphone is 10.3? Keep your children away from social media until late adolescence. They are not physiologically or emotionally ready to handle it. What would delaying do for our society, for kids? Well, ideally, ideally uh, would be late adolescence, late adolescence. Now, my son, who's a freshman in college, he was, and my daughter as well, they were the last kids to get phones, right? So my son didn't get a smartphone until after he graduated the eighth grade. He was 14 years old. And, and uh, it was my old phone. It was no social media. It was just really a means for him to um, you know, be able to text and stuff. So he didn't start, he's 18 years old. He didn't start using Snapchat until he was like almost 17. And he's at that age, he's, he can handle that. When you're you know, 12 and 13, you, you're, you can't handle that because you're in a very critical stage of development um, where you're comparing yourself and so forth. So ideally is late adolescence. So and one question you know, people always ask me at the lectures is, you know, well, what is the right age to get my child a smartphone? And the answer that I give, that I stole from somewhere, and I reference in the book, is as follows. When you feel comfortable with your child watching pornography. Yeah. I, I've heard that before, and I read it in your book. Oh, it's a big, it's a big statement. No, it is. I mean, that's just, it's really oh. just more to get an eye opener, because that's what happens when our kids get the phones. At, at a young age, they, they're exposed to things that no parent would want them to be exposed to, and we can't really avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, so you talk about the dangers of smartphone use, you know, talk about resiliency and, and neural wiring and pathways. And then, and then there's this very real danger of pornography and oh, yeah. um, other people that are grooming kids. And mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of bullying. There's a lot there. So to just delay, or like there are these companies like that Gab Wireless that are coming out with non-smartphones and what an awesome answer to it to a problem, you know, you want to be able to maybe connect with your kid. They're at sports after school or things like that. And here's a safe way. Yeah. It looks just, I have one over here. They sent me one. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah it looks, that's great. It look, looks just like a smartphone and you yeah. know, a kid that's in, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, that's begging their parents, you know, they could feel like they fit in, you know, because it, 
you can't, the other kids won't be able to tell. They're not going to be caught with a flip phone. That's never going to happen. Right. But the, you know, the gab, all you can do is there's no, you don't have any internet access. You could text, or you take some pictures and stuff, but you're not, you know, in, in going to be involved in the, in the dangers that, that come with the smartphone. Yeah. It's a um, product that was needed. That's for sure. Um, so this has just been a fabulous book and I do love how you had, it, it came up a couple of times in there, how you, you said your daughter kept asking for a phone and you just mm-hmm. kept saying no. And I think, it's important for parents to know that there are other people saying no, um, that everyone else is also getting bugged all the time, you know, but that you can say no. And like you said, waited until they were in the high school, um, yeah. you know, at the end of high school before they're getting social media accounts. Um, yeah, it's tough because it is, you know, it is their way of communicating, you know, kids, but, you know, we can start with the gab, they can text message their friends, you know what I mean? And really, if we feel that they're old enough and you know responsible enough, which none of them really are, but uh, you know, it's up to us to 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 be on top of their phone and realize oh, actually it's not even right. their phone; it's mine. I'm just <laughs> right, right. Who's paying for it? Well, even in the gap, they talk about. We had them on the podcast this season. They were talking about how in every other aspect of life, we teach things progressively, right? You know, kids start on a tricycle or they start on a no pedal bike. You know, we have this progression of you know, how do they cook and when do they get to use the stove and all of these things. But with technology, we're just handing them the final product right off, right off the um, get go. And so, you know, why not also look at this as let's teach them, let's teach them good technology habits, teach them that we put the phone away at dinner. And on the other end of it too, um, is the big tech industry, which I talk about in the book and I'm doing more research and writing about is, uh, you know, they design their products and they use these algorithms and everything else so that they are addictive and they know that they're doing that. I mean, there was something that just came out. I don't know if you saw it. I did a radio interview um, last week where Facebook, who owns Instagram, um, there, there, there was an investigate, uh, investigative journalistic piece that showed that they, you know, Facebook did their own internal research on the impact of, of um, Instagram on young teenage girls. And it showed you know, that teenage girls are more depressed suffer from more anxiety and are more likely to be suicidal because of Instagram. And they withheld that information from the general public until an investigative journalist came out and revealed it. And now they're kind of, you know, getting some, they're in a little bit of hot water right now. Yeah. Those are huge things. That's a really big deal. And like you said, you saw it starting in 2012 with the anxiety disorders and that there's only certain people who would be on the front line there seeing the difference is, you know, for everyone else, it's like, well, we just have our kids. You don't really know what to compare it to. Um, but really neat that you had that firsthand experience of seeing this is how it always was. And then all of a sudden there's a change. Oh, yeah. You know, and you can trace that timeline back to, to phone usage. So, um, well, I really, really enjoyed your book, Tom. This is I'm going to hold it up here again. This is Disconnected, How to Protect Your Kids from the Harmful Effects of Device Dependency. Um, you have another book coming out. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I'm in the middle of writing it, and I have no idea what it's about yet. That's how writing goes. You, no, yeah, kind yeah. Of idea. you, you have to put together a whole outline and chapter ideas, and then you just kind of put write and put things together. So it's really going to be about, um, that's not coming out until February of 2023. So it's like a year and a half away. Um, but it's really going to focus specifically on all the, the hot bucket items that we're seeing you know, with our children nowadays between the mental health, um, childhood obesity, which has skyrocketed since COVID, it's always been a problem, um, and just social and emotional skills and all that. So I'm really going to really kind of dive deep into into what our children are nowadays um, and how we can help them. Yeah, that's so. great. So people want to know more about you if they want to um, know more about when this book is coming out. Where can people find you and information about you and your books? Yeah, so uh, my website, it's uh, tomkirsting.com, just www.tomkirsting.com. And I have some, so, uh, you know, so I don't really use social media, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, Facebook, I actually use, F- Facebook is more of my psychological laboratory, where I actually look to see what's going on. But, you know, you'll find me on TV. I do a lot of TV segments for uh, today's show, uh, different, you know, Fox, you know, more about parenting. I talk about, you know, parenting and mental health and all that stuff. Um, yeah, people have probably seen you before. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the book you can get anywhere, you know, anywhere books are sold, the current book. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, can we end with this, Tom? What's a favorite childhood memory of yours that was outside? Oh, right. Comes right to my mind. Uh, Every Thanksgiving morning, 
my dad would take us, all of us hiking, right? There was, he was a police officer and the town right next to us called Rockley, New Jersey. There's a little sub police station. It was just woods that went on forever. And we would go hiking and we called the Rockley Woods. And it was just, we looked forward to that so much. And I'll, 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 share, I'll share something else with you. About five years ago, we went, we took our own kids on that trail, my brother and my sisters and I, and my dad. And we totally forgot we found a tree that we all carved our names in. It thank, it said the Kirstings Thanksgiving 1980 with our initials. We found that tree. Wow. Yeah. I, I love that story because how simple is that? How simple uh, is that? That, that might, little Thanksgiving tradition of hiking. I mean, that is really simple, but it's it's amazing how impactful that was for you and how much you remembered it and how neat to come full circle and take your own kids. Yeah, it was really, really cool. I mean, we forgot about the tree and all of a sudden we're walking on the trail and we see you know, a big beech tree with our, you know, the Kirstings and, you know, it's got the, it's, you know, when you carve something in a tree years later, it gets like wider because the tree grows, but, you know, 1980, Thanksgiving, 1980. I'm like, oh my God, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> I could carve my initials in 1980. <laughs> That's great. But look how, look how long that, that those memories stick. I think that's an encouragement to parents to know that simple things can, can leave a lasting impact. And that's what we want to do, right? We want to leave these lasting impacts with our kids and simple memories do it. So, well, thank you, Tom, so much for your time. Disconnected. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And uh, keep a lookout because Tom's got another book coming out in a year and a half. So thank yeah. you so much, Tom. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.